this series, if you if you haven't been here, if you haven't driven this this mindset of fulfilling relationships, gasped, insert gasped, for both people, that truly relationships can be fulfilling for both people. And, and, and I, I want you to know today we're looking at junk in the trunk, all right? Now remember, we're not talking about people, we're talking about cars, okay? Junk in the trunk. I had a buddy that used this statement in a message and he was using uh, like an old trunk that you traveled with like in the 1800s. And he was being cute about halfway through the message. And he pointed at the trunk and he got a little smirk and he said, my wife has a lot of junk in her trunk. <laughs> yeah, about day three on the couch and hitting that that probably wasn't the best move for him, right? So just remember, we're talking about cars, not people. If, you, if you're like us, we've got, a, we've got a Jeep and we've got a van. We have... The back space of both our vehicles, especially the van, there's just a bunch of junk back there. There, It's a survival kit. There's coats, there's shoes, there's waters, there's fruit snacks. You get stuck in the snow in our van, your money, you're going to make it, okay? It's a survival kit. And it doesn't really matter because we don't see it until we need something from that area. We keep a stroller back there and some other things that we need and we use often. you got to dig through all the junk, get the stuff spilling out. It's so frustrating. And you, you know what it's like. You have some of those spaces in your vehicle. But relationally, it's the same way. We do the same thing as, as the trunk space. We have this stuff lying unnoticed until we need something from one another. And then you discover all this junk in the trunk. All, this thi- all these things are in the way. You have all this fulfillment and in- in- intimacy clutter all over the place. And I love fresh examples and, and I got one this week. I was on a field trip with my son, first grade field trip to Huber Farms. You ever get a chance to go to Huber Farms with a bunch of first graders? Don't do that. Do something else. Go to work, work a double. Just don't, don't do it. So I go there with these guys, and they're listening. And I have this uncanny ability. I don't know about you, but I'm one of those guys that see things all the time nobody else sees. Then you try to tell them, and they're like, oh, whatever, right? Like, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I shared in the first service, I debated whether to share it today, but I will go ahead and share it. For the past 11 years, I have noticed a phenomenon that I am very uncomfortable with, and I do not understand, but I've seen it so many times that I watch for it now, and it's this, adult people who pick their nose and then eat it, okay? I see that all the time. I was with my wife and my my dad, I said, you guys see that guy in the gray car? They were like, ooh, we were getting ready to go eat lunch. So I'm one of those guys... If, if, if there was ever going to be UFOs, I'm going to be the guy to see it. So I'm sitting there with this class, with all these teachers. This guy's talking about pumpkins, the life of the pumpkin. To my left, out of my peripheral, I see this guy running up a blacktop sidewalk. He gets about halfway up, full steam, and trips. Does a big two or three, you know, TJ Hooker roll. Gets up, looks at his hands, looks back at the sidewalk, because we know, you know the sidewalk was guilty of that. Looks at, oh, man, he's looking around to see if anybody saw him. And, and being gracious, I looked down, but I was like, thank you. That is the illustration I need because it fits what we do in relationships. And I also whispered a prayer, God, please don't let me be the example for other people's relationships like that guy was mine. I don't need any more hassles, right? Here's the thing. We are going along relationally, and we, we seem to constantly trip up on the same things. Keep tripping over the same things over and over, and you never stop and say, why am I doing it? Or you're going along, and this is like, there's usually things in every relationship that, that are cyclical. 
you trip over the same things over and over again, and you usually blame each other. You blame, you got to blame somebody. The dude blamed the sidewalk. He didn't blame his shoes being untied. He didn't blame somebody tripping him, some, uh, an invisible wire across there. He blamed the sidewalk. And we do that a lot of times relationally. We have all this clutter we're tripping over, and we blame one another, and we really never get to the bottom of getting past a lot of things. But God hooked us up in the book of Philippians. It's one of my favorite chapters of all time in the New Testament. Proverbs 30 in the Old, Philippians 3 in the New. I want you to check this out. God revealed some crazy cool stuff about junk in the trunk. Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, it's broken up into a couple things, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, stretching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you, let those of us who are mature, I want you to remember that, Christ follower, think this way. How do I think? I forget what lies behind. I stretch forward to what lies ahead. Pressing is all about forgetting. We're going to see what that is. And stretching. Don't forget that. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul kicks off this chapter. You've got to know this background. He kicks off this chapter with some things, just some big thoughts. Because this is really weird to jump into if you don't know the big, big stuff. Here's what Paul revealed in verses 1 through 11. I do stuff for God because I am God's. I value Christ's work because I am Christ's work. I value God's stuff because I am God's. I value Christ's work because I am Christ's work. Jesus died for me so I can die for myself. I mean, he's just unpacking this. And his reason for all of this was because in a special moment in his life, Paul had come to the realization that Jesus Christ was something other than a religious term. He came to the realization that there was a lot of things that stained glass had filtered out of his life about this person of Jesus Christ. And he, and he saw in an instant, like many of you have, that Jesus' death and resurrection was not some nebulous religious thing that we talk about, some folklore, but that it was a moment in time and that it was done and accomplished so that he could have a personal connection to God himself. And in that real, realization, in that moment of reality, in that moment of truth, Paul accepted Jesus Christ. And then all of this crazy stuff began to happen. He took a step of faith, but here's the thing, it never changed for Paul. The first realization of Christ and his need of him. He always needed Jesus in every situation. I've come to know Jesus, this is what I've been searching for my whole life, and now that I have him, I need him to finish my life. That is where he is writing what we're, what we're going to look at today. That, that he's valuable because God places value on him, that he does stuff for God because he is God's, that he does Christ's work because he is Christ's work. I'm talking about, for Paul, that was the filter. I know Jesus, and this is why I do what I do. When I want to go from where I am to, to where I'm going, this is my filter, Paul would say. 
When I, when I want to see what I regret and I want to deal with that and I want to get to what I'm longing for, that spot, that job, that place, this is the filter, Paul says. And as he unpacks this amazing thing that he filters his life through Jesus Christ and that relationship that he has, he uncovers something for us that we tend to pass over by looking at the verse, you know, by looking at, I think it's verse 14. Usually we, we don't say this. We say, I press on to the goal for the prize of the call of Christ Jesus. That's usually what we focus on. But the verse behind it, it just unpacks this thing. It gives the definition. I want you to read it with me one more time. Look at this with me again. Verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider what I have made it, but I have made it my own. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, stretching, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. All the Christians say, I want to go vertically. Okay, I've done that. Okay, look, check this out. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Think this way. What, what, what are we going to th- think, Paul? How are we going to do this? Paul reveals maturity as a person and as a relationship hinges on this. Paul says, listen, this is going to be a game changer for some of you. Some of you are in this spot that you don't understand why you can't move forward. Some of you are in this place and you are wrestling with all these decisions with or about Jesus Christ. And, and instead of feeling like you're gaining traction, you're in this bitterness of fear, or you always feel back to square one. But he also said this for those of us, because it's real easy after you accept Jesus Christ to look at people who are coming up behind you or are coming new on the scene to being a Christ follower and judging them. He said, so don't, unless you forget this, I want you to know that maturing people, this is a part of their life. This is part of what drives their existence. And he gives two words. Here they are. You ready? Forgetting and stretching. Now, we're not talking about forgive and forget. We're not talking about that, that, that ability to live avoiding everything. Forgiving and forgetting is impossible. Forgiving is possible. Forgetting is not. We're going to see how this ties together. But we have placed this on people from, from the church and said, listen, you've got to forgive and forget. And it's a nice, convenient way to not deal with things. It's a nice, convenient way to say, you wronged me or I wronged you, and I'm going to sweep this under the rug. But Paul says, listen, I want you to look at the present tense. This is forgetting. It isn't I've forgotten. It's I'm forgetting. It's a present tense situation. The guy that wrote this had murdered Christians before he became a Christian. He had one of those extreme stories. Now picture him going back through all of these areas that he had destroyed families and lives. And he had become one of those things. He had become a Christ follower, the very thing that he killed people for, signed their death warrants for. Now he was one. Now he gets up in the churches, and he begins to speak to those widows and those kids that he made fatherless about the gospel. Can you imagine the guilt and grief? I see people that I wronged in high school, or that I wronged in junior high, that I've wronged even in adulthood, and I hate that feeling. I could not imagine people that I had been the, the, the cause of all their grief and pain by murdering their relatives. So he carried a lot of stuff, but you got to know this. It wasn't just in his present that he had done stuff that he had carried. There were things from his past. To be a Pharisee, which was what Paul was, you had to be married. So Paul was either divorced or widowed. So the reality is he writes these 14 books of the Bible that he either messed up big time, blew up his marriage, or that his wife died. And who knows if there were kids involved. But he did it all on this drive to succeed. 
So Paul had a lot of stuff going on, but you've got to see it further back than that. Because most of our issues don't, and most of our anger, our rage, our rejection, they don't start in adulthood. They may manifest themselves with people that we love. We may be more aware of them. But if you look at Paul's story from Acts about 6 to 8, you see a guy that is extremely, extremely militant, zealous, and murderous, extremely angry. That doesn't happen because you are a different religion. Now, we can blame that, but this stuff comes internally. So Paul has the stuff from where he started in his nuclear family. He's got the stuff that he's done. And he's got all of this stuff churning, and he's wanting to, to move forward for God. And he discovered something that he revealed here, that maturity is processing the past and the present. Most of us want to process the, the present. We want to look at a situation, and we're like, we're fighting about this, and you're saying this, and I'm saying this, and if you'll just if you'll just do what I want, or if you'll just do what I want, or if you'll agree with me, or you'll see things my way, or we can compromise, and yet there's still this thing that we keep tripping over relationally. We keep tripping over. We keep stumbling. We keep fighting about. And Paul says, listen, I want you to get to the bottom of this. I want to help you with this. And here's where you have to begin with forgiving. You have to begin with where you grow up. You begin to operate your life from a nuclear family of some kind. Maybe a mom and a dad, maybe divorce, maybe two moms, two dads, maybe grandparents, maybe a guardian, it may be an orphanage, I don't know. But we learn how and, and what from somewhere. Your life was formed early on. And the situation that you find yourself in is a continuum of that, of that early beginning. And I know that sometimes this sounds like Dr. Phil stuff or... It sounds like something on Oprah. This is not an excuse. Paul was not looking for an excuse to blame anybody. But one of the things you have to realize about responsibility, and I had to learn this the hard way. Actually, ministry taught me this, was you have to take responsibility for what is yours and let go of what's not. Letting go of what is not your responsibility is just as important as taking responsibility for what you have done. And some of us, we have grown up being a scapegoat. We just take on everybody's stuff, then we get saved. And so God, we just feel, has more trash in our lives to feel bad about. And so you go to work, and you're like, God loves you. And you're like, man, can I be as miserable as you as I become a Christ follower? Can I do that too? You're like, absolutely. You can be burdened just like me, you know. But some of us have lived our whole lives that way. And Paul's saying, listen, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about just blaming someone else. I'm talking about saying, this is responsible here. This is responsible for this. This is where this goes. This is mine. These are things that I've done. Let me give you a biblical example. Let's look at Exodus 34. Tough verses, but it's, it's really good. Look at this with me. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the God of merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, great stuff, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Let's look at Exodus 20. This is crazy. But show steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Leave that up because that's very, very important what we're going to talk about. In Genesis 12, you have an example of, of Abraham. Abraham has a nice-looking wife. So he says, listen, God has called us to get out of here. We're going to walk by faith. We're going to do what he says. 
But when we go to these foreign lands, I want you to act like we're from West Virginia. I want you to act like you're my sister, okay? So you're going to act like my sister, but you're really my wife. Some of you, okay, you're not getting, that's cool. Eastern Kentucky, boo! <laughs> so I want you to act like my sister. And then God, through a king, says, listen, Abraham, you've got to quit doing this deceit thing. Because this guy almost wanted to marry your wife. It's just a weird situation. Well, you would think that was the end of it. God did that to him. But if you look at Genesis 26, his son Isaac and his wife Rebecca, same type journey, same exact situation. Hey, they may kill me because you're so hot, so I don't want to die because you're so good looking. Act like you're my sister. You've got this thing going on. Here's what happens typically. We say, listen, we're going to do a genogram on our family. We're going to do this on our family. So you look back in your family and you see alcohol, 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 alcohol. Or addiction, addiction, addiction. Or adultery, adultery, adultery. Go genogram. People do them all the time. I do them in college. You may have to do one too. And we're like, yeah, we get that. Here's the reality. The place that you incubated, you learned patterns, you learned methods, you learned all kinds of things that nobody taught you. There were things that you observed that nobody corrected, that you translated, and here's the reality. It's still affecting your relationship today. There are things that you watched. There are patterns that you saw that formed you. Nobody taught you, but you were learning in this environment because all our stories begin at home. You need to see that because we, we debunk that at church. It's psychobabble. That's Dr. Phil's stuff. That's Dr. Drew's stuff, but this is biblical. And Paul said, you've got to begin forgiving. It's not blaming. It's not dishonoring. It is biblical. It's taking responsibility for what's yours and releasing what isn't. All the past isn't negative. Paul wasn't saying everything negative. You know, everything in your past is negative. Everything about your home is negative. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, but with anything that continues to trip you up, to mess you up, to keep you fighting, to keep you arguing, arguing, to keep you disconnected from God, you've got to begin forgetting. You've got to begin to deal with. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like getting a splinter. And it's going to hurt to get the splinter out. It's going to, you don't even know if it's going to hurt. You just think it's going to hurt a lot, really bad. So you're like, nah, I'll just let this thing get out on its own so you cover it. And then you forget it. And you bump it. Oh, and you get so bad, especially if it's you, you get hurt. And somebody else, you get, hey, I got a splinter. What are you doing? Look at this thing. Good night. Watch what you're doing. Seriously. And we leave it in. And it festers. And it affects. And it hurts us. And in being in pain, we begin to hurt other people. We begin to whatever. And when you say, I'm going to begin forgetting. You bring whatever is the fester, whatever is the splinter, whatever is the difficulty, whatever keeps causing the fights, and you pluck it out. You see how to do that. And when you do that, you still may have a wound that needs to heal, but it won't be in much as pain. And when that thing scars over, you'll have a scar. It was real. It was a splinter. It was right here. We're not denying the past. We're not living in a false reality. But the splinter is gone, and so the pain is gone. And what we do so many times, we have two people. We have a person that's majorly driven. We have a person that, that, that's super, super driven. And he always has this question in his mind, I've got to stare at this thought, I've got to stay busy. He doesn't even know where it comes from. 
And if you got him to sit down and say, what do you and your wife fight about? I, well, I feel like I could never please her. She's always wanted me to do this, and I do this. I always try to do this, and she wants me to do this. He can't put the, the pieces together, and I've got to stay busy. He's never said, I'm going to begin forgetting. Where did this begin? Oh, this began in my home life where I never felt like I was good enough. So I constantly have to perform or I've got this impending doom from the way I grew up or whatever I translated, but i got to stay busy. And so you take that kind of person and give him a driven personality type A, you've got a relational gorilla. You've got a guy that doesn't know how to bond. Then usually he'll get together with a lady that has the opposite traits of him. She's beautiful. She's sweet as can be. She, she's awesome. But she's got issues of her own. I mean, she's got issues that she never feels like she's good enough. She never feels like she's worth anything. So people, her husband will say, you're beautiful. He'll, he'll say, man, you're awesome. And she'll say, no, I'm not. And it feels like rejection to him. She, she always feels really strange. But all she can ever remember was picking herself apart. She can't put the two together. She never feels like she measures up. And, but but if you, how it manifests itself in her life is she's always picking herself apart. My face is broke out. My hair's not great. My hips are getting there. My waist is too big. I, I don't look good in the shirt. I don't like this color. I don't like these shoes. I mean, she's constantly picking herself apart. I can't seem to do anything right. I can't keep up with the kids. I can't keep the house clean. Blah, blah, blah. Then you take those two people and you put them together in the fight. You guys know what it looks like. It looks it looks something like, hey, I can't please her. And it gets to the point, I can't please her, so why try? So you go do what you want. Bury yourself in a habit. Bury yourself in pornography. Bury yourself in a hobby. Bury yourself in whatever. Because don't know what to do with this thing, and she's not helping with it. Well, she translates that. You have just defined her life for her, the message that she's reinforced her whole life. She, she intensely picks herself apart. Greater depression. She begins looking for her own fixes, maybe a co-worker, maybe spending money at, at an astronomical rate, maybe addiction. But the need is forgetting. The need is saying, listen, I've got to begin forgetting what I have no control over, and I've got to begin, I begin to uh, do what I, what I have done. I begin releasing. I begin forgetting. We're going to see how this works in just a moment. But we begin to do these things. We begin forgetting. Paul didn't say, I've forgotten. He said, I am forgetting. So how do I practice this thing called forgetting? How do I get the splinter out? The first thing you've got to do is accept reality. You've got to say, listen, this is where we're at. This is not where we want our parents to see us. This is not where we want to be. This is not the image we want to project. But this is really where we are at. We accept reality. We accept that we keep fighting. And every time we argue, one of us feels rejected. And one of us feels angry. One of us feels rage. One of us feels overlooked. We just feel the sadness, whatever the case may be. We have, to, we have to realize and accept our reality. And then we have to feel what we feel. You've got to say, 
to yourself. Listen, this is what I feel. And somebody, they'll always, when somebody says the wrong feeling for the other person, they begin to translate, the argument gets more heated. But you say, listen, this is what I feel. I feel this, or I think this. If you're not a feeler, you think, I think this. You give the other person permission, but we're talking about a one-on-one gig. You say, God, this is my reality. And I feel this. This is what I feel. And normally, that is the wall that most of us stop at. I mean, come on, baby. We're, we're Midwest Southern Crossroads, man, with a little bit of Northern industry. That's the wall for us. We're not going to push through. We're not going to get help. We're not going to read a book. We're not going to face reality. We're going to continue to work. We're going to continue to spin. We're going to continue to bury stuff. But here's the reality. On the other side of this wall, the moment you say, I'm going to bring this to Jesus, that wall evaporates. That wall crumbles. And then you have the ability to say, God, I want to release this to you. I've got this thing in my life. I want to release this to you. I release it to Jesus. So you're coming along and you say, listen, here's my reality. And I keep tripping over the same thing. Every time we fight, it's the same thing. We come there like, what are we fighting about? You're fighting about the things you need to be forgetting. The things that you need to acknowledge is the reality. That you need to feel what you feel because it's valid. That you need to say, Jesus, I'm bringing this to you. At that moment, it's awkward for many of us because we're like, what's on the other side of the wall and how's that work? And especially those that are are more analytical, more pragmatic, how does the wall fall and work? It's not the issue. The issue is you say, I want what's on the other side of that wall. And I'm bringing this to you. And you say, Jesus, I'm going to give it to you. Now comes the the, 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 co, the co-peace, the co-pay. You either forgive or be forgiven. If you're the perpetrator, you come and you say, Jesus, this is what I'm feeling. I feel like I can't get close to you. I feel rejection from you. And, and I can't do anything about that. This is just what I feel. And this is what caused that. God, I see it was maybe when I grew up. Or it's the choices that I have made. God, I've done this. And you come to the wall and you say, Jesus, I'm bringing it to you. The wall crumbles and you release it to him. And then comes that part where you say, listen. I'm the perpetrator, if you are the perpetrator. If you're not, remember, responsibility is not taking what's yours. It's only taking what is yours. You say, Jesus, I'm going to go make this right. You make the phone call to an ex-spouse. You make the phone call to an ex-coworker. You make the phone call to an ex-boss or an ex-employee that you know, that you know needs your forgiveness. You need to have you forgiven by. The moment you make the call in God's eyes, the moment you leave the message, the moment you try to talk to them, you've made that you've done as much as you can do. Reconciliation is not forgiveness. They may hate you. They may be. There may be a lot of water under the bridge. But the moment you say, "Listen, I need you to forgive me," forgetting has been complete in that instance for you. Now, if you're the person that's been, if you're the person that's been wronged, or you're the person that you have to choose at that moment. To forgive them. They don't have to ask for it. They don't have to beg for it. That's the tough thing. And I, I like when people grovel when they've done me wrong or admit or buy me a gift or you know, show some kind of contriteness. But the Bible says you can choose to forgive them regardless. And once again, the moment you do, forgetting has taken place in that instance. But Paul didn't say that because and here's what happens so many times. If we don't, if we if we do make it to the wall. We keep hitting the wall. We get frustrated. We turn away. We blame the church. We blame our spouse. We blame our kids. We blame our job. We blame tire. If we do get to this point, so many times we kind of stop here. And so Christianity becomes heaviness. It becomes losing. 
It becomes only what you do wrong and you confess and you release. It becomes this guilt, this guilt calisthenics. And that's not what God said. God said, listen, you had this thing come up. It probably began way back here. If it began here, that's fine, but it probably began here. You begin to face the reality. You begin to deal with that. You begin to see what God, you know, see that the God situation. You admit what you feel. You bring it to him. You release it to him. But then he said, I'm stretching forth. I'm going to do something. I'm going to stretch. At that moment, you get this freedom to begin reaching the other way. You don't have to stay there and beat yourself to death. Paul said, I'm reaching forth. I'm stretching forth. I'm reaching out. I want to go to the next level. I find what God reveals, and I do that. I choose to believe, and I take action on that belief. I see, you know, we see this. We say, listen, this is what God says. God says, listen, the moment you bow the heart or the knee to Jesus Christ, God sees you like Jesus Christ. He doesn't see you as the person that committed adultery. He doesn't see you as the pornographer. He doesn't see you as the abuser. He doesn't see you as the addict. He sees you like he sees Jesus. And you're like, oh, 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 it took me. No, oh, oh, can't go that. No, oh. And so we get stuck and we're like, oh, I love the shame bath. I love the guilt. And it is so fun to wallow in. But the moment that you're at that wall that's been dropped and you say, God, you really see me like Jesus? And he says, yes, take a step of faith. And we quote this verse all the time. Thy words lamp is my being light in my path. God says, listen, this is the life you want. This is the help I offer. You name it. You name the healthy biblical thing that causes you to stretch out, that causes you to reach forth, your finances, your kids, whatever. The moment you say, I want that. I believe that. I want to think that. Not that I think, because this is like 200 steps to where it's a rival, but I'm going to begin back here and I'm going to say, yes, I am going to stretch forth. The wall has fallen. I see what you want from me in my life. And you say, I choose to believe. I choose to believe. I choose to believe. I'm stretching forth, not that I've already attained, but 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 one is stretched where I press, I press, I press. And what you begin to find is what you're pressing for is not really what you want. What you really want to begin back there, that thing with Jesus. And then one day you see him face to face and you discover just like Paul did. This is all about Christ. Everything I do is about Christ. I find my value in Christ. I will live for Christ, not because of what I can get, because of who he is and what he's done for me. Can we give God a hand clap for that? It's amazing. But here's what happens. We either come to the wall and we stop. We try to stretch. And we want these things. And every time we reach the splinter, the splinter, ow, ow. So it feels like God's just punishing me all the time. Why? I, I'm, I'm stretching, I'm straining. And so you start a new ministry and you start another church and you begin serving another spot. You begin doubling your tithe, which is really cool either way. You begin doubling your tithe. You, you do all of these things, man. But you just keep hitting the splinter. For those of you that are the action people, and I love you with all my heart because I am one. I want you to rewind. I want you to walk back to the wall. I want you to admit where you're really at. I want you to say, Jesus, I see this wall. It's really scary. I don't know what's over here. I would love to have a formula or equation. I would love to have some assurance, but I believe you're on the other side of this wall too. You're here with me. You're over there too. I want to bring this to you. The wall crumbles. I release it to Jesus. Now, with the stinger gone, oh, wow. 
get spiritual gifts. Now I get Bible study. Now my serving in the children's ministry on the worship team. Now me being in a home group. Now me we helping start another campus. Now, oh man, this is incredible. But what about this one? Oh, I had the scar here, but, but I'm stretching forth. I'm reaching forth. I'm pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. All because in a moment. You say, I haven't done this the whole Christian life. Yeah, I know. This is brand new. I know. It's not your fault. We always press, we always do the press verse. Because that's cool. And when we're sad and we're unhappy and think about heaven, we're going to press on. I'm carrying on. All that, right? I get it. But before that is the secret to maturity. To an enjoyment level, not only of Christ and your relationship with Him. Because what works with God works with people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, not your soul, all your mind, love the neighbor as yourself. No, that stuff all works. Love God, love people. All oh, you're spiritualized all this stuff, y'all. You practice forgetting. You practice stretching. Can you imagine two people bringing where I started, where I'm at, what I've done? This person does the same. They came, they come together, they come to this wall, they say, Jesus, we need you together, and we release this to you. Oh my wow. Then God says, let's serve you, okay? Then God says, let's tithe, okay? Because we have been forgiven. And then we can stretch forth. Then we can strain towards that, that desire and that passion that we long for. And it's a whole new world. Let's pray together.